Hello and welcome to the Wheel of Crime podcast, the podcast where two girls drink, mumble profanities, and laugh way too often. Listener discretion is advised. How are our wheelies and our crimies? How are you guys? <laughs> so how's your week been, Em? It's been good. I've been very, very sick, as uh, as you can probably tell, and um, I am just now getting over an ear infection and a throat infection. How are how are you, Jen? Fun. <laughs> that sounds like a great time. Yep, yep. Just uh, living the dream here. Oh, yeah, me too. It's been a great week. Best week of my life. Yep, yep. (laughs) New year, new me, hey? New year, same me. Same shit, too. Uh, Well, yeah. It's been an interesting week. Yeah. Uh, That's... I honestly wish I could say that I remember more, but I have taken so much cold medicine at this point, I don't even remember what I had for lunch. (laughs) <laughs> so surprise oh yeah i don't know it's been an interesting week mm. to say the least that's for sure oh i guess we could start with our names yes my name is jen and i am emily emily <laughs> emily <laughs> oh my god yeah all right well jen what's our uh what's our topic this week our topic this week is cannibal crimes but um are you trying to skip over my joke no (laughs) sneaky sneaky but not sneaky enough (laughs) i tried so hard and i didn't succeed are you ready for my joke em i was born ready did you hear about the burglar who fell in the cement mixer I did not. Now he's a hardened criminal. (laughs) Criminal. Criminal. (laughs) I actually haven't heard that one before. Well done. Way to go. Yes. So worth the wait. (laughs) We're tired this week. I might require a coffee after this. We'll see what happens. I'm pretty amped up on a few different medications. I haven't been trying to push anything. <laughs> I didn't even take my vitamins today. I was like, I don't know what's going to happen now. Girl. I know. Them vitamins, though. Take your vitamins. I looked at them for a long time. Does that count? <laughs> oh. Why don't you take your vitamins? Well, like, here's the thing. So I actually was having this conversation with my parents the other day. I want to see what you have to say. So if you eat your vitamins and then... You have craft dinner for lunch. Does that mean that you had a, a nutritious meal? No. Are not. you sure? I'm so sure. <laughs> but I mean, like, you nice did get start. your vitamins. <laughs> I mean, I probably do like the exact same thing, not gonna lie, but like. No, I don't try and kid myself. That's what my dad said to me. He looked at me and he like did his little like eyebrow thing and he's like, was that a real question? <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> uh, it was real funny. Okay. So our topic this week is cannibalism. So cannibalism is the act of one individual of a species consuming all or part of another individual of the same species as food. So mm, yummy. Yeah. To consume the same species or show cannibalistic behavior is a common ecological interaction in the animal kingdom and has been recorded uh, for more than 1,500 species. So human cannibalism is well documented both in ancient and recent times. The rate of cannibalism increases in nutritionally poor environments as individuals turn to other uh, conspecific individuals as an additional food source. So, where was I? Um... (laughs) Yes, okay, so cannibalism regulates population numbers, whereby resources such as food, shelter, and territory become more readily available with the decrease of potential competition. Although it may benefit the individual, it has been shown that the presence of cannibalism decreases the expected survival rate 
of the whole population and increases the risk of consuming a relative. <laughs> uh, I don't know why I'm laughing. <laughs> Consume your relatives. Um, <laughs> I've thought about it. I'm a little crazy. <laughs> Am I crazy if I've thought about that? Um, that's funny. Probably. <laughs> Other negative effects uh, may include the increased risk of a pathogen transmission as the encounter rate of hosts increases. Cannibalism, however, does not, as once believed, occur only as a result of extreme food shortage or artificial slash unnatural conditions. It can also occur under natural conditions in a variety of species. So basically, it was something that was thought to be uh, not that... Uh, weird or out there? Well, not weird or out there, but just not that often done like people felt that like the only like a species that would exercise cannibalism were ones that are really struggling and they have no options Mm -hmm. but then that changed with the encounter certain like uh civilizations that do that say out of like traditional means or like out of the belief that uh eating a dead family member or eating certain parts of people then give you health benefits like that kind of stuff well it's like Maybe this is controversial, but the idea of, like, a woman eating her placenta has always really weirded me out. If you if you are one of these people who have, I'm very curious as to why you did it, because I also find it to be a little bit bizarre. I personally have never thought about uh, having kids and then eating the placenta. I find that's a little strange, but... I, I don't know. Is that a culturally... Uh, <clears throat> is that a cultural thing, or is that just something that people want? to be a part of. I'm I'm not sure of that part. I think the first time that, like, I really ever learned or, like, heard about it was on an episode of the Kardashians, like, back in high school, where, like, (laughs) Courtney... Where you get all your super accurate information from. (laughs) Exactly. Where where Courtney ordered a placenta and, like, was gonna Excuse cook me, it. she ordered a placenta? Yeah, she ordered... She wasn't... It wasn't her own. Like, she, somebody donated a placenta and she ordered <laughs> it off a fucking menu? Amazon. It was Amazon. It was an Amazon I placenta. I don't know. I don't know. She ordered it from Fresh, somewhere. Freshly farmed placenta. <laughs> it's all organic. She ordered it from somewhere and, then like, cooked it into, like, a pasta dish and, like, fed it to her entire family without them knowing. Oh, my and God. And she was like, haha, guys, you are eating placenta. What the fuck? <laughs> I don't think... I think if you're tricking me into eating placenta, I would not be your friend anymore. Especially if it was a stranger's placenta. Whose is it? You're not pregnant. I was just someone off of (laughs) eBay. Like, I don't know. Craigslist donated their placenta. (laughs) I think getting a placenta off of Craigslist is like... For sure, how you get some sort of disease. Oh, probably. Gosh, I don't even know, but... I don't... I don't know. I don't know anymore. I am questioning what kind of uh, TV content you used (laughs) to watch back in high school, though. I wasn't much better, though. I used to watch Untold Stories of the ER and Murdoch Mysteries pretty much every day, so... Yeah, well, as we know, Murdoch Mystery, nothing good has come from that show. Don't be rude. It's amazing. (laughs) It's on Netflix, so it has to be good. Oh, God. That show's on Netflix now? You didn't know that? No. Oh, it's on Netflix. You and John can watch it together. No. (laughs) Oh, God. Okay. Yannick Bisson is a beautiful man. Mm, No. (laughs) (laughs) Tell me your story, Emily. Oh, yeah. Tell me your sort of crime, crime about cannibalism. Um... This is actually a little bit closer to the topic than my usual picks. Ooh, surprising. <laughs> Where I am going to tell you the story of the Wendigo. <laughs> Oopsie. Okay. <laughs> I'm just kicking things over. It's fine. So, have you heard of a Wendigo before? Kind of. Um, there's this video game that John and I really like to play. It's called Until Dawn. Mm. And that's like, a zombie one, right? No, it's a Wendigo. Oh, it's like the monster in that. It's a really cool like choose your own adventure game where you get to play like as like five different teens who are out in this cabin trying to survive until dawn. 
Oh. And a Wendigo is hunting them. And, like, there's some other cool, like, mysteries. It's a really fun game. That sounds really interesting, actually. I have heard the title before, just because I'm a part of the video game world of nerds, but I have never actually played it. It's really fun. What uh, console is it for? I think PS, just PS4. Okay, I, I can ask my brother about it then, because I think that's what he plays off of. Um, so you have heard of the Wendigo. So, yes. uh, let's see. So in Algonquin folklore, the Wendigo... Or, sorry, they, they spell two different ways, one with an E and one with an I. It's uh, synonymous, though. Um, it is a mythical man-eating monster or evil spirit native to the northern forests of the Atlantic coast and the Great Lakes region of the United States and Canada. So the Wendigo may appear as a monster with some characteristics of a human or as a spirit who has possessed a human being and made them to uh, become monstrous. It is historically associated with murder, insatiable greed, and uh, cultural taboos against such behaviors. So, this is the story of Swift Runner. Mm. I'm really glad, or by your reaction, I'm assuming you didn't cover this, but it's my no. story now, so... <laughs> <laughs> Sucks to suck. <laughs> so, during the winter, a Wendigo ate Swift Runner's family. Swift Runner was a Cree hunter and trapper from the country north of Fort Edmonton. Local. Very. I work up in North edmonton the area <laughs> north of edmonton <laughs> i work in that general facility that area that did you got graph of chief <laughs> give me the coordinates i work there <laughs> send me your coordinates <laughs> but yes so the country north of fort edmonton he was a big man over six feet tall and well liked he was mild and trustworthy, a considerate husband, and very fond of his children. A little too fond of his children, as events proved. Oh. <laughs> All these traits... I feel like that can never be good. <laughs> whenever... Okay, if you ever say, oh, he was a considerate husband and very fond of his children, and then add under after like afterwards a little too fond, I'm like... I don't like that. <laughs> where is this going? I don't. I don't know. That's this started out bad. <laughs> I don't want to see where it goes. <laughs> so yes. So too fond of his children, <laughs> and all of these traits endeared him to his people and to the traders of the Hudson's Bay Company, which is still today one of my favorite stores to shop at. <laughs> Shout out! <laughs> Shout out, Bay. <laughs> You got nice sweaters. The bay, bay. My bay is the bay. <laughs> you stop that right now. <laughs> I'm allowed to be funny. <laughs> okay, but this was not enough to allay suspicion when he returned from his winter camp in the spring of 1879 without his wife or family. When he could not give a satisfactory account of their whereabouts, his in-laws became worried. They decided to tell the Northwest Mounted Police, who had then been in the West for just five years. So, Inspector Severe, it's like, it's S-E-V-E-R-E, -E, and two of, the, two of the three E's have opposite accents. I do not know how that's supposed to go. <laughs> I think it's like, Severe. <laughs> that just sounds so wrong. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like I'm half-assed trying to sing a song. <laughs> It sounds like you're saying it drunk. It's true. But his last name was Gagnon <laughs> and was given the task of investigating Swift Runner's behavior. So him and a small party of policemen uh, accordingly trekked out to the trapper's camp. So Swift Runner obligingly showed the mounted police a small grave near his camp. He explained that one of his boys had died and been buried there. So Gagnon and his detachment opened up the grave and found the bones undisturbed. That, however, did not explain the human bones scattered around the encampment. Gagnon produced a skull, which Swiftrunner willingly told him was that of his wife, and without much prodding, Swiftrunner revealed what had happened to the rest of his family. So, at first, Swiftrunner became haunted by dreams. A Wendigo spirit called on him to consume the people around him. The spirit crept through his mind, gradually taking control. Finally, he was Wendigo, and Swiftrunner was no more. Then the Wendigo killed and ate Swiftrunner's wife. This accomplished, the Wendigo forced one of Swiftrunner's boys to kill and butcher his younger brother. While enjoying the grisly repast, the spirit hung Swiftrunner's infant by the neck from a long pole and tugged at the baby's dangling feet. Oh. Oh, I know. this. Oh my. I, I should have said before. By the way, this story is gross. 
<laughs> I mean, we, the topic is cannibalism, so it was going to be gross, but just just you wait. <clears throat> That's so sad. <laughs> it is very sad. So, uh, yes, uh, from a lodge pole and tugged at the baby's dangling feet. It was later shown that he had also done away with Swift Runner's brother and his mother-in-law, though he acknowledged that she had been, quote, a bit tough. Ew. But you see, when I read that sentence the first time, I was like, a bit tough as in she wouldn't go down easy, or a bit tough as in, like, to chew? I, like, interpreted that as to chew, and, like, you okay. don't tell me those things. <laughs> Stop that right now. I don't want to hear about it. Yeah, I wasn't sure which one it was either. So the revolted mounted police party hauled Swift Runner and the mutilated evidence back to Fort Saskatchewan. That's a long trip, by the way. Yeah. Um, the trial began on August 8th, 1879. The judge and jury did not view the Wendigo idea in the same light as the Cree. They saw Swift Runner as a murderer and the trapter... Trapter? The tractor. <laughs> oh my god. Uh, the tractor. <laughs> the tractor made no attempt to hide his guilt. <laughs> Trapper, um, stipendiary, magistrate, Richardson, <laughs> quickly sentenced him to be hanged. Oh. Yes. Well, you can't kill your family and get off. Well, yeah, but <laughs> um, so sudden. Yes, it was very sudden. Um, the sentence presented a problem. The police had never before conducted an execution. Although the Hudson's Bay Company had once hanged an employee for murder... <laughs> You hear that, Bay? Do you remember that? <laughs> yeah, did you remember when you hanged a man? I just imagine that the employee was like five minutes late to work for like three days in a row and they're like, that's it, Joshua, you're you're done. No, they said they hanged him for murder. Maybe it was murder of like another employee, though. <laughs> like... Maybe the CEO of the Hudson's Bay secretly worked for PETA. They just attached like, him to... You <laughs> murdered that animal when you skinned it! Maybe, or they attached him to the Escalator. <laughs> <It's> horrible. <laughs> I know. Why are we awful? <laughs> I won't remember this tomorrow, so... <laughs> That's right, guys. I'm only drunk on cold medicine today. It's fine. It's true. It's true. Um, Let's see... This was, for all intents and purposes, the first formal execution in Western Canada. So Staff Sergeant Fred Bagley, not Bagel, a, a force burglar, a bugler? A force bugler. That, that was a real <laughs> word, yep. Was put in charge of the arrangements. A gallows was erected within the fort enclosure at Fort Saskatchewan, and an old army pensioner named Rogers was made the hangman. You know what? At least he's still working. Yeah? Yeah. He's like, damn people, no one is gonna tell me when I retire. <laughs> you ain't gonna tell me when I'm done working. I'm done when I'm dead. <laughs> oh, literally, though. Yes, so Rogers, he was the hangman, and on the appointed morning, a bitterly cold December 20th, Swift Runner was led to the scaffold. So standing over the trap, the unrepentant cannibal was given the opportunity to address the large crowd that had gathered. He openly acknowledged his guilt and thanked his jailers for their kindness, then berated his guard for making him wait in the cold. <laughs> Which would be me. <laughs> Excuse me? You should have told me to layer up? You should have told me to wear a sweater to my execution. Guys, it's cold outside. I'm starting to get a chill. <laughs> Do you want me to get sick? Do you want me to get sick? <laughs> it's not going to be fun if I get sick. <laughs> <laughs> so then, so nowadays we view... Um, as psychosis, what the Cree thought to be the work of a Wendigo spirit. So at one time in the belt of parkland that borders the Northern Plains, it was far from being a rare phenomenon. Usually the symptoms were the same as those displayed by Swift Runner, and one way or another, most of the afflicted Wendigos met similar violent death. So next we're on to Swift Runner's last walk. Dun, dun, dun. I don't, the article I found really talked like in heavily about like his death. Which I thought was kind of curious, and then I tried to find more information about, like, the actual act of cannibalism, but other than, like, those core details, they didn't really have a whole lot to add into it. they probably didn't want to, like, emphasize it too much, just, like, out of respect for the victims. Yeah, and think of the time period, too. I don't think they were very, like, into uh, providing more grisly details back then. Yeah, probably not. So... 
Let's see. So Swift Runner's last walk. So the man convicted of uh, killing and eating his family stayed calm despite delays and hitches in the 1879 hanging. It was pitch black and brutally cold when, Swift, when Swift Runner was led from his cell at Fort Saskatchewan Jail to start his long last walk towards the gallows that waited outside in the swirling snow. So Swift Runner, or um, I'm going to butcher this, uh, Kakis Sekuchin, oh, that wasn't too bad, um, had been told to prepare for death and seemed to have heeded the advice. He walked confident, confidently into the yard, seeming much calmer than many of those who were there to watch him die. So most of the 60, 60 people gathered near the gallows had never seen a hanging, and they were nervous and anxious about what was going to happen. So Sheriff Edward Richard had been delayed by the snow and the weather and was flustered by his late arrival at the fort. The hangman, too, appeared nervous. The execution had been ordered to take place at 7.30 a.m. on December 20th, 1879, with less than half an hour left to go. It was discovered that the crowd had taken the trap from the gallows and burned it as kindling, and the hangman had forgotten to bring straps to bind the prisoner's arms. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> Sounds like our year so far. <laughs> um, as the sheriff and the hangman rushed to get the scaffold ready again, Swiftrunner sat near one of the fires that had been lighted nearby, joking and chatting, snacking on pemmican, a thick noose hanging loosely around his neck. He said... I could kill myself with a tomahawk and save the hangman further trouble. Swift Runner was well known around the Fort Saskatchewan settlement, a striking six foot three with a strapping build and one policeman called an ugly and evil looking face I have ever seen. How people describe me. Yep. <laughs> I like that they're re reiterating the same details as before, but you know, just in case you forgot, he is six feet tall. <laughs> <laughs> He's a big boy. He is a big tall boy. Big boy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's see. He once had been known as smart and trustworthy and a reputation that had won him as a guide for the Northwest Mounted Police, but as one newspaper story would later point out, his contact with white men, however, ruined him. That ruination came in part from inordinate fondness for the whiskey that was smuggled into the area disguised as medicine. So Swift Runner was known to be an ugly customer to meet when on a spree, so ugly that some called him the terror of the whole region. Holy also me when I encounter whiskey. <laughs> also me when I haven't like had lunch yet and I'm like, feed me. Oh my gosh, hanger is so real. <laughs> uh, yes, yeah, so the police sent Swift Runner back to his tribe, which he caused, or yeah, which he caused so much trouble, uh, turned to Cree camps into little hells and was eventually turned out from his community altogether retreating to the wilderness with his wife, mother, brother, and six children. The police started to hear stories in the spring. A Cree chief said that Swift Runner had turned cannibal, and a hunter reported that Swift Runner's entire family had been killed in the woods. But a squad of officers who went out to investigate couldn't find Swift Runner or his family. So instead, Swift Runner went to the police himself in the spring, telling them that his wife had committed suicide and the rest of the family had died of starvation. See? Don't mm. worry. There are more details. <laughs> uh... But the officers noticed that Swift Runner didn't look underfed. The prisoner arrived at our camp in the spring and did not look very poor or thin as if he had been starving, one noted. Suspicious of the story, police traveled with Swift Runner to his family's camp in the wilderness north of Fort Saskatchewan. So after days of searching, they found the remnants of a campfire with piles of bones and human skulls scattered nearby. Some of the bones were dry and hollow, empty even of marrow. A small moccasin had been stuffed inside the skull of Swift Runner's mother, a beading needle still sticking out of the unfinished work. Mm. Mm. Lovely. Yes. Very. Um, Swift Runner was tried for murder and ca capitalism. <laughs> cannibalism. Never mind. You damn capitalist. Get the fuck out of here. We don't need you here no more. Swift I was Runner. I was doing so good at reading. I don't know what <laughs> happened. Um, okay. By jury and included three English Cree half-breeds. This feels slightly racist. I'm gonna keep going. <laughs> okay, so Swift Runner was tried for murder and cannibalism by a jury that included three English Cree... In English-speaking Cree half-breeds, four men well up in the Cree language, and a Cree man who could translate the proceedings. So leading a leading Cree slash English scholar was also brought in to observe the trial and ensure Swift Runner knew what was being said. So Swift Runner sat calmly through the testimony of the witnesses who described that the family was in perfect health when they were 
headed out to the woods, then Swiftrunner uh, was coming out of the forest alone. There was no evidence presented in Swiftrunner's defiance. Asking if he wanted to say anything, he responded, I did it. Some said Swiftrunner had de- uh, developed a case for- taste for cannibalism years earlier when he was forced to eat the remains of a starving hunting partner to save himself. Others said that he had been possessed by the Wendigo, a flesh-eating spirit that tormented him and gave him nightmares. Two hours after Swiftrunner was led to the gallows, the execution was finally ready to proceed. He was allowed to eat one final pound of pemmican before he was uh, pinioned tightly with the rope and taken to the scaffold, where a thick black hood was placed over his head. Just before the trap fell, Swiftrunner said, I am no longer a man, and Swiftrunner went down with fearful force. There had been a drop of five feet, the Daily Evening Mercury reported. He died without a struggle. The body was cut down in an hour and buried in the snow outside the fort. Hmm. And there you go. That's the story of Swiftrunner. The beginning, the middle, the end. The And then again, the beginning, the middle, and the end. <laughs> so what do you think? Do you think he was just a cannibal or do you think he's a wendigo? I would like to think he's a wendigo just because I think that that would be not like more fun, but definitely interesting. I do go with what they were saying uh, before they were they told the second part of their story was... Uh, the psychosis part of it, where a lot of things that would have happened back in the day would have been misdiagnosed as being, you know, something else just because you don't have the knowledge for it and that sort of thing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, I don't know. I definitely, I feel more partial towards, I think, the psychosis part of it. What do you think? Do you think he was a cannibal because of what they provided in the second part there with the whole uh, having to eat a hunting partner previously and uh, having a taste for it then? Or do you think it was more more of a different thing? I don't know, because I feel like even if he did have to, like, eat a hunting partner before, I don't know if that's something you'd really, like, develop a taste for, especially if it was something, like, really traumatic. Right, and, like, uh, just from, like, uh, my other research having to do with cannibalism, I remember they have another term for human meat. It's, like, long pig or something, long pork, because I guess people taste very similar to pork. And I would think that if you had already previously in your life eaten pigs and then also had to eat a human, you would probably just eat pigs. <laughs> I mean, unless you're in, like, a survival situation. I guess. I don't know. That'd be a tricky one. Would you eat a person in a survival situation? Well, as a vegetarian, <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, I, I don't think I morally could. That'd be a really hard thing. I don't know. I would like to think that there would be some other way to survive, like, where we can both, like, get through it together, but, like, I don't know. I feel like in those survival situations, sometimes, like, you just do what you have to do, which is scary to think about, but... Yeah, I don't know. That's I've always taken the view of, of like situations like that. I'm like, I don't know. I'll think about it when I get there. <laughs> We're on the island, and it's just me and Wilson. Wilson's going down. I will eat the volleyball. You hear me? <laughs> I will eat the volleyball. <laughs> so much nutrients, probably just as much as your crap. And then I and then I will die because all the plastic will build up in my stomach. <laughs> Oh, yeah. All right, but that was the story of Swift Runner, or I wish I could remember his Cree name. That was a cool one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So, I guess now time for my story. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, today we're going to talk about Hamilton Howard Fish. Okay. Who was born on May 19th in 1870 in Washington, D.C., Fish was the son of Randall and Ellen, who and was the youngest of three living siblings, Walter, Annie, and Edwin. Mm-hmm. His father, Randall, was an American of English ancestry and was born in 1795, making him 75 years old at the time of uh, Fish's birth. His mother, Ellen, was 43 years younger than her husband and was of Scots-Irish-American heritage. Okay. It's kind of, like, 43 years is, like, a big age gap. That is. That's a lot bigger than mine, and I thought my (laughs) age gap with my fiancé was a big one. Um, So, Fish's family had history of mental illness. His uncle suffered from mania. A brother was confined in a state mental hospital. His sister was diagnosed with mental affliction, 
Three other relatives were diagnosed with mental illnesses and his mother had uh, visual hallucinations. Okay. His father, Randall, died in 1875 at the 6th Street Station in the Pennsylvania Railroad in Washington, D.C. of a heart attack. So his mother, Ellen, um, couldn't really afford to take care of the family anymore once her husband was gone because... She was on her own, and back in those days when you really didn't work. Right. Um, so his mother put her son in to St. John's Orphanage in Washington, where he was frequently abused. Solid. Yeah. So he's setting up a good backstory. I was going to say, the story of your story is uh, almost as good as mine here. <laughs> Very depressing. Yes. So, when Hamilton was young, he decided to go by Albert Fish instead for two reasons. The first was to honor one of his deceased siblings, who um, was originally named Albert. And the second was to escape a horrible nickname. Do you want to guess what his nickname was? I can only imagine at this point what his nickname was. He was nicknamed Ham and Eggs at the orphanage. Oh my god. Where he spent most of his childhood. Um, no one knows why. Nobody knows why. <laughs> he the, hated it. It was probably something dumb. Like, he just really liked to eat ham and eggs. <laughs> he was like, guys, I don't like it that much. And they're like, whatever. You're always eating ham and eggs. LOL, ham and eggs, ham and eggs. <laughs> and he's like, fuck it, I'm going by Albert now. <laughs> Screw all of you. My name's Albert now. <laughs> um, so Albert's time at the orphanage was not so good, um, as you can probably imagine. Mm-hmm. It was a place where he was not only separated from his mom, but a place of continual emotional and physical abuse. Mm. Um, however, he later said in an interview that he began to enjoy the physical pain that the beatings brought. Um, and That's interesting. Yeah, well, I mean, I guess it kind of makes sense, like, as, like, a way to cope. To, like, enjoy being beat? I mean, people cope in, like, strange ways. Like, if you're constantly... Well, like, I've uh, I've never thought of it as being really a coping measure. Like, the, the only case I've ever known about, like, that kind of stuff has been in, like, BDSM situations. But I guess if you're frequently being abused, then you'd have to figure out some way to... Deal keep, with it. Keep going with it, yeah. Because, like, he was so young, right? Yeah. That's another thing, too, is when you're young, you have a lot of uh, outside influence, yeah. environmental factors. And who else knows what exactly was going on, right? That's true. Um, so, uh, when he was talking about his time at the orphanage later in life, he said, I was there till I was nearly nine, and that's where I got started wrong. We were unmercifully whipped. I saw boys doing many things they should not have done. That's uh, interesting. My mind immediately jumped to, like, either being gay or Satanism. (laughs) Who fucking knows? That is a mystery and an enigma. Who knows? (laughs) So by nineteen. By 1880, his mother got a job with the government and was able to remove him from the orphanage. Um, In 1882, at age 12, he began a relationship with a telegraph boy. Um, This boy introduced young Albert to some strange practices, though. Oh my gosh, was I right with gay and Satanism? (laughs) So, these practices... Oh wait, this is the cannibalism episode. (laughs) Never, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> so these practices included uh, urolagnia, which is drinking urine, and that's interesting. Propagia, which um, is eating feces. But like, I I don't like to yuck other people's yums. <laughs> but <laughs> what a nice way to put it. <laughs> I heard it from, uh, I think it was the Wine and Crime gals. They say that one a lot, and I was like, that that's a good one. Because I also feel that way. I don't like <laughs> yucking other people's yums, but sometimes I hear something, and I immediately go, Hurgh! and I don't mean to, because <laughs> I just don't understand. Imagine, like, your son, you just got him out of the orphanage, he's like 12, he meets a strapping young fella, and then he comes home and starts drinking his pee and eating his poop, and you're like... What it, what happened to you? 
Where did I go Can you wrong? imagine, but can you imagine yourself dating somebody and, like, you not being into that kind of stuff, but them out of the blue being like, have you ever thought? <laughs> have you ever gotten really turned on and wanted to eat your own poop? I'd be like, no. Well, he was 12, so it's probably like... Have you... It, at that point, maybe it was more of a curiosity thing, like, yeah. oh, I don't know. Maybe I will. <laughs> Boys do weird things anyway. I don't know what that's. I, I wasn't born or raised a boy. I don't know how any of that works. So I tell you, Oliver's crazy. <laughs> Whoa! He sounds really heavy up there, doesn't he? He does. Um, it's raining dogs. <laughs> Hallelujah. So, uh, Fish began visiting public baths where he could watch other boys undress, and he would spend a good chunk of his weekends doing this. IVSP or something. Sorry. (laughs) Continue. (laughs) Uh, Throughout his life, he would write obscene letters to women whose names he got from classified advertisements and matrimonial agencies. Mm Mm-hmm. So... Good start as a young boy. So basically, he was a troll. Yes. Um, he was a non internet troll. <laughs> An old fashioned troll. He wrote letters Ugh. instead of YouTube comments. Yeah. Um, so in. <laughs> what are you eating? I'm having hot tamales. The cinnamon really helps my uh, throat business. Mmm. So in 1890, he arrived in New York City and became a prostitute. Along with that, he also, along with, not correlated to, but he also (laughs) began raping young boys. Oh, okay. Yeah. So in 1898, his mother arranged a marriage for him with a young woman named Anna Mary Hoffman, who was nine years younger than him. Oh, she's about to get a real winner. I know. Like, (laughs) his mom's like... Your life is a mess. You were drinking poop or drinking poop. <laughs> Pureed. <Ew. laughs> yeah. You're, you're sipping the Ew. poop smoothie. <laughs> Sorry, but no. <laughs> no. I mean, he was drinking pee, eating poop, raping people, being a prostitute. Like, his mom was like, your life's a mess. Here's a woman. Here's a woman. <laughs> Do with her what, to do th- what thou will. Yes. Okay. So, um, the couple wed, and together they had six kids named Albert, Anna, Gertrude, Eugene, John, and Henry. Albert the second. Nice. Yes. Carrying on. So that kid wouldn't be nicknamed Ham and Eggs either. <laughs> <laughs> so, once the match was made with Anna in 1898, he started to work as a house painter, as she probably didn't approve of his prostitution. I would guess probably not. Um, However, this new relationship didn't stop him from continuing to molest children, most of which were boys under the age of six. Oh, what a dirtbag. I know. That's That's disgusting. I mean, like, molesting young boys in general is disgusting. Under under six, that's like... That's basically babies. Mm Mm-hmm. Like, literal, like... That's just so sad. Like, any kid is sad, but like... Under six, they really have, like, no... Those are key developmental years for children. That's messed up. That's, like, really messed up. But, like, again, maybe that's what was happening to him at the orphanage. Not that that's an excuse at all. Yeah, but, like, a correlation factor. Yeah, I gotcha. Um, so, he later recounted an incident with a male lover who took him to a wax works museum where he's fascinated with, like, a display of a penis that was cut in half oh yeah so like he was just like (laughs) i mean i would also probably be fascinated (laughs) but not to that extent so he like i don't know was just like really like interested with into this cut up penis into this cut up penis and after that he became obsessed with it and like started to mutilate I don't like Peeps. it. Peeps. No! <laughs> Leave the peens alone! <laughs> so, in 1903, he was arrested for grand larceny and was sentenced to incarnation in the Sing Sing Maximum Security Correctional Facility in Ossing, New York. Mm-hmm. But, um, 
Around 1910, he like was released and he was working in William, Delaware. He met a 19-year-old man named Thomas Keaton. He took Keaton to where he was staying and began a <sighs> sadomistic. What did you just say? <laughs> do you, do you mean sadistic? No. <laughs> um, a sodom a sodomistic. Oh, sodomistic! Sod- I was like, <laughs> I'm deaf in one ear still. So what Jenny said that all I saw was her mouth moving like sodomistic, and I was like, what on earth is that? I, I like looked at it and I was like, I know how to pronounce this word. <laughs> Why didn't it come out correctly? <laughs> Anyways, he started a relationship, um, and it's unclear whether or not Fish forced Keaton to do these things, but in his confession, he implies that the man was intellectually disabled. Mm. So, after ten days, Fish took Keaton to an old farmhouse where he began to torture him. Nice. The torture took place over two weeks, and he eventually tied him up and cut off half of his penis. Aw, leave the peen alone. Mm-hmm. Yep, that's that's a thing that he did. So Fish later recalled that I he said, I shall never forget his scream or the look that he gave me. Mm. He originally intended to kill Keaton, cut up his body, and take it home, but he feared the like attention it would bring to him so instead he poured peroxide over the wound wrapped it in a vaseline covered handkerchief left a ten dollar bill kissed keaton goodbye and left oh my god thanks for the peen bye (laughs) oh then he said i took the first train i could get back home never heard what became of him or tried to find out oh my god he probably like bled to death he probably bled to death Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe not. Maybe he was so embarrassed that he just never made anything of it. Because they would definitely say something about finding a guy in an old farmhouse with no penis in the news, you would think. <laughs> Half of a penis. Yeah. Oh, that's just so scary. I keep thinking of, like, what I would do if someone cut off, like... I, I can't even think of the female equivalent because your clit's not that big. So they would have to be, like, half a boob. Can you imagine if somebody just came along and chopped off half your boob, <laughs> covered it in Vaseline, and threw a $10 <laughs> bill at you and left? That's horrific. <laughs> I know. That's what I keep thinking of. I'm like, that is the worst thing ever. I can't. That's the- so bad. Leave the peen alone. <laughs> Oh my god. So in January 1917, Fish's wife left him for John Strobe, a handyman who boarded with the Fish family. Uh. Fish then had to raise his children as a single parent. Um, After his arrest, Fish told a newspaper that his wife left him. She took nearly every position the family owned. He began to have auditory hallucinations once... He once wrapped himself in a carpet, saying that he was following the instruction of the instructions of John the Apostle. Hmm. I don't think John wants <laughs> you to be wrapped up in a carpet, honestly. That that doesn't sound. We've like... spoken about it. I can confirm. John John says no. <laughs> I was gonna say I've been to church quite a lot in my life. Never mentioned. Never heard that passage. <laughs> I think we should write it. <laughs> Just be like, here, Father. You forgot one. Father, I found this page. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> Next to the holy cup. <laughs> um, so, um, so it was about that time that Fish began to indulge in self-harm. He would embed needles into his groin and mm. abdomen. No. Ugh, Yeah. After his arrest, x-rays revealed that Fish had at least 29 needles lodged in his pelvic region. No! Yeah. Uh. He also hit himself repeatedly with a nail-studded paddle and inserted wool dosed with lighter fluid into his anus Uh. and set it on fire. Oh my god. No! Yeah. Oh, his intestines must just be a graveyard. I'm like, excuse me. Did we sign up for this? We most certainly... John would be so disappointed. Oh my god. That's insane. 
Yeah. And I'm keep thinking back to the nail studded paddle. Oh my god, that sounds. <laughs> ah! Why? Well, obviously it's for your butt. There's not a whole lot of places on your body you can hit with that. Why ham and eggs? Why, Mr. Ham? Why? Um. Yeah. So that was a thing that he did. Mm, thank you for sharing. Well, he. <laughs> was never thought to have physically attacked or abused his children he did encourage them and their friends to paddle his buttocks with oh the my same God. nail studded paddle he used to abuse himself here Tommy come here come here and paddle me <laughs> here Albert Jr oh my god um, so he soon developed a growing obsession with cannibalism often per- preparing himself a dinner Consisting solely of raw meat and sometimes serving it to his children. I consider that child abuse. Yeah. Do not feed your kids raw meat. Don't do it. Unless it's sushi. Feed your kids sushi if you want. That's That's it. it. (laughs) In about 1919, he stabbed an intellectually disabled boy in Georgetown, Washington, D.C., um, Deceive. <laughs> Deceive. That's horrible. Um, Fish had chosen people who were either mentally handicapped or African American as his victims. Explaining, oh, nice. Yeah. Explaining that he assumed these people would not be missed when killed. Oh my god, can I kill him? He sounds like a complete asshole. Yeah. He's a horrible person if you hadn't come to that conclusion yet. Mm hmm. Um, yeah, that's a fucking awful thing to assume. Mm-hmm. Um, so he would later claim to occasionally pay boys to procure him other children. Um, Fish tortured, mutilated, and murdered young children with his implements of hell, which was a meat cleaver, a butcher knife, and a small handsaw. No! Mm-hmm. Gross. What a gross dude. Yeah. So... On July 11th, 1924, Fish found eight-year-old Beatrice Keel playing alone on her parents' Staten Island farm. He offered her money to come and help him look for rhubarb. She was about to leave the farm when her mother chased Fish away, but he later returned to their barn where he tried to sleep but was discovered by her father Mm -hmm. and was forced to leave. During 1924, the 54-year-old Fish, suffering from psychosis, felt that God was commanding him to torture and sexually mutilate children. Ugh, no. No, 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 no. God doesn't want that. Nobody wants that. Don't do it. No. Nobody Mr. wants Fish. that. No, Mr. Hemmings. No. <laughs> That's so sad. Oh, I was going to say, this is a gross one, too. Everything about... Both of our stories were really gross. <laughs> so, shortly before his abduction of Grace Bud, which was, like, kind of, like, the big story around him that kind of got him discovered as a cannibalist. Okay. Uh, Fish attempted to test his implements of hell, which we know is the meat cleaver. The meat stuff, yeah. Yeah, the meat... The, his torture... Devices. Devices, yes. Um, on a child he had been molesting named S- Cyril Quinn, mm-hmm. Quinn and his friend were playing box ball on a sidewalk when Fish asked them if they had eaten lunch. When they said that they had not, he invited them into his apartment for sandwiches. While the two boys were wrestling on Fish's bed, they dislodged his mattress. Underneath was a knife, a small handsaw, and the meat cleaver, which was his his hell combo mm-hmm. and the triple three they became frightened and ran out of the apartment thankfully right um fish remarried on february 6 of 1930 in waterloo new york to estella wilcox but divorced only after one week fish was arrested in may 1930 she found his meat cleaver she was like that's too small to be normal she's like um Something seems a little bit off about you. Something seems a little fishy, if you ask me. <laughs> I will not <laughs> eat green eggs and ham. <laughs> Sam, I am green eggs and ham. Um, so, um, Fish was arrested in May 1930 for sending an obscene letter to a woman who 
answered an advertisement for a maid. Mm-hmm. Following the arrest and one in 1931, he was sent to the Belleville Psychiatric Hospital for observation. Right. On May 25th, 1928, Fish was classified... Or, sorry. Fish saw a classified advertisement in the Sunday edition of the New York World that read, Young man, 18, wishes position in country, Edward Budd, 406 West 15th Street. On May 28, 1928, Fish, then 58 years old, visited the Budd family in Manhattan under the pretense of hiring Edward. He later confessed that he planned to tie Edward up, mutilate him, and leave him to bleed to death. He introduced himself as Frank Howard, a farmer in Farmingdale, New York. Yeah, because that sounds real. Hi, what's your name? Oh, um... Hi, I'm not a cannibal from non-cannibal at... Non-cannibal. I'm not going to kill you. (laughs) I promise. Have I told you yet that I am not going to kill you? (laughs) Just want to put that out there. You do not look delicious. (laughs) I do not have a meat cleaver in my briefcase. (laughs) But those lips do look tasty. (laughs) Cherry chapstick. (laughs) Continue. Oh my god. Um, so, uh, Fish promised to hire Bud and his friend Willie and said that he would send them up in a few days. He failed to show up, and he sent a telegraph to the Bud family apologizing and set a later date. When Fish returned, he met Grace Bud. He apparently changed his intended victim from Edward Bud to Grace Bud and quickly made up a story about having to attend to his niece's birthday party. He convinced the parents, Delia Flanagan and Albert Bud, to let Grace accompany him to the party that evening. The elder Bud, Albert... The elder... Albert Bud was <laughs> the elder Bud. The elder Bud. The elder Bud, Albert Bud was a porter for the United States Equitable Life Insurance Association. Grace had a younger sister, Beatrice, two older brothers, Edward and George, and a younger brother also named Albert the second. Lots of Alberts and Albert Juniors on this story. I know. Strange. How bizarre. Do do do. Grace left with Fish that day, but never returned. Obviously. The police arrested 66-year-old Superintendent Charles Edward Pope on September 5, 1930, as a, sus- as a suspect accused by the Pope's estranged wife. He spent 108, da- 108 days in jail between his arrest and trial on December 22, 1930. He was found not guilty for the crime of the disappearance of Grace Bud. Okay. In November of 1934, an anonymous letter was sent to the to Grace's parents, which ultimately led the police to Fish. Um, Mrs. Bud was illiterate and could not read the letter herself, so she had her son read it to her. The unaltered letter, complete with Fish's misspellings and grammatical errors, reads... Oh. It's a real... It's, it's a real letter, isn't it? Yep. Ah, okay. Dear Mrs. Bud... In nineteen or er, in eighteen ninety four, a friend of mine shipped as a deck hand on the steamer Tacoma, Captain John Davis. They sailed from San Francisco to Hong Kong, China. On arriving there, he and two others went to shore and got drunk. When they returned, the boat was gone. At that time, there was a famine in China. Meat of any kind was from one dollar to three dollars a pound. So great suffering was among the very poor that all children under 12 were sold to the butchers to be cut up and sold for food in order to keep others from starving. A boy or girl under 14 was not safe in the street. You could go in any shop and ask for steak, chops, or stew meat. Part of the naked body of a boy or girl would be brought out and just what you wanted cut from it. A boy or girl's behind, which was the sweetest part of the body, and sold as the veal cutlet, brought the hi- brought the highest price. John Stead, <laughs> he's put Stead instead of said. Okay. <laughs> I just thought that was funny. Yeah. John said there so long he acquired a taste for human flesh. Mm. On his return to New York, 
he stole two boys, one seven, one eleven, took them to his home, stripped them naked, tied them in the in a closet, and then burned everything they had. Several times every day and night he spanked them, tortured them, to make their meat good and tender. First he killed the eleven year old boy because he had the fattest ass and of course the most meat on it. Every part of his body was cooked and eaten except for head, bones, and guts. He was roasted in the oven, all of his ass, boiled, broiled, fried, and stewed. The little boy was next, went on the same way, and at the time I was living at 409 East 100 Street, rear, right side. He told me so often how good human flesh was, I made up my mind to taste it. On Sunday, June the 3rd, 1928, I called you at 406 West 15th Street, brought you pot cheese, strawberry. We had lunch. Grace sat on my lap and kissed me. I made up my mind to eat her on the pretense of taking her to a party. You said yes, she could go. I took her to an empty house in Winchester I had already picked out. When we got there, I told her to remain outside. She picked wildflowers. I went upstairs and stripped off all my clothes. I knew that I did not want to get her blood on them. When all was ready, I went to the window and called her, then hid in a closet until she was in the room. When she saw me all naked, she began to cry and tried to run downstairs. I grabbed her and she said she would tell her mama. First, I stripped her naked. How did she kick, bite, and scratch? (laughs) Yeah. I choked her to death, then cut her into small pieces so I could take my meat to my rooms, cook and eat it. How sweet and tender her little ass was roasted in the oven. It took me nine days to eat her entire body. I did not fuck her, though I could have, and wish, and had I wished. She died a virgin. Oh my god. You know what? I'm gonna have nightmares about this. That was horrible. Horrible. Like, imagine as a mother getting that letter. That is the... That's terrible. That is some distic bullshit right there. Yeah. So, police investigated the letter. Of course they did. You don't just get that and be like, I'm putting this in my tickle trunk. (laughs) No! You give it to the police! (laughs) So, the story concerning Captain Davis and the famine in Hong Kong could not be verified. The part of the letter considering the murder of Grace Bud, however, was found to be accurate in its description of the kidnapping and subsequent events, although it was impossible to confirm whether or not fish had actually eaten parts of Grace's body. Mm. The letter was the letter was delivered in an envelope that had a small hexagonal emblem with the letters NYPCBA representing New York Private Chauffeurs benevolent association oh a janitor at the company told the police he had taken some of the stationary home but left it in his rooming house at 200 east 52nd street when he moved out the landlady of the rooming house said that fish checked out of the room a few days earlier she said that fish's son sent him money and he asked her to hold his check for him william f king was the chief investigator on the case He waited outside the room until Fish returned. Fish agreed to go to the headquarters for questioning, then brandished a razor blade. King disarmed Fish and took him to police headquarters. Fish made no attempt to deny the murder of Grace Budd, saying that he meant to go to the house to kill Edward Budd, Grace's brother. Mm. Fish said it never even entered his head to rape the girl, but he later claimed to his attorney while kneeling on Grace's chest and strangling her, he did have two involuntary ejaculations. Oh my god! If this story wasn't fucked up enough... That's so gross! This information was used at trial to make the claim the kidnapping was sexually motivated, thus avoiding any mention of cannibalism. In 1935, Fish was tried and convicted of Grace Bud's murder and sentenced to the death penalty. In 1936, he was electrocuted at Sing Sing Correctional Facility. And that was my story. Fuck that guy. I'm definitely having nightmares. That is horrible. 
Too many Alberts. <laughs> too much ham and eggs. Too much gross. Blah. Blah. Yeah, I didn't like that at all. Me either. But I don't know what your thoughts on that one. Honestly, like, it was do a you really... Think he, do you think he actually ate Grace, though? Because they were saying that they made it out so that he wasn't actually accused of cannibalism. Well, I think, like, because they couldn't prove that he, like, actually ate her, they left that out because they wanted to make sure he went down for his crime. Okay. Right? That's kind of what I, like, from my research got the impression of, that, like, they couldn't prove that for sure because by the time that everything had happened, like, it would have all been out of his system and, like, if they can't find the body, then they don't know. They don't have the proof, yeah. Exactly. So, I think they probably went with, like, charge, didn't charge him with that because they knew that, like, maybe... They wanted to charge with whatever proof they did have. Yeah. That's fair. That's fair. To make sure that he actually was convicted okay. and gun bye bye That's fair. And then I interrupted you when you were about to say something. You did, like, your little, like, Italian hand motion. <laughs> Italian hand motion. You were like, well, and I was like, but... Well. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> okay. I wasn't sure if you had, like, a, a spicy side detail you wanted to talk about or something. No, I just... That story was real fucked up, so tell me a fun fact. <laughs> I do. I have a fun fact. It's not really that fun, though, because our topic is cannibalism. <laughs> I feel like you say this every week. <laughs> That's because we pick topics that aren't really that fun, but I would still give you a fact that could be fun, but it's probably not. So here we are. Interesting, at least. Yes, and it, oh, let's just do interesting fact, because <laughs> none of these facts are ever fun. <laughs> okay, but, so here's your interesting fact for cannibal crimes. Woo! Eating the brain of another human can cause kuru, so K-U-R-U, a brain disease that's similar to mad cow disease. Kuru is very rare, incurable, and invariably fatal neurodegenerative disorder that was formerly common among the four people of Papua New Guinea. Hmm. Yeah, so Kuru is caused by the transmission of abnormally folded proteins, so prion proteins, which leads to symptoms such as tremors, loss of coordination, and neurodegeneration. The term Kuru derives from the four word uh, Kuria or Guria, which means to shake. So due to the body tremors and that, or sorry, that are a classic symptom of the disease and Kiru itself means trembling. It is also known as the laughing sickness due to the pathologic bursts of laughter, which are a symptom of the disease. It is now widely accepted that Kuru was transmitted among members of the four tribe of Papua New Guinea via funerary cannibalism. Deceased family members were traditionally cooked and eaten, which was thought to help free the spirit of the dead. Women and children usually consumed the brain, the organ in which the infectious prions were most concentrated, thus allowing for the transmission of kuru. The disease was therefore more prevalent among women and children. Hmm, that is an interesting fact. I know. It's better than some of my other facts that I have. I'm, get- <laughs> I'm getting better. <laughs> yes. Three steps up for Emily. Woo! Round of applause. Yeah. I'm excited for next week. (laughs) You don't even know. It's going to be so fun. What are we talking about next week, Em? Well, next week will be World War II crimes where I, as always, stretch the topic. But I believe we are now on to the actual wheel part of the wheel of crime. Yes. I am not taking shots today. And Jenny is not taking shots today. So instead, you guys are taking shots today. Because we're driving to Calgary and going to a concert tonight. It's true. We're going to go see Le Congos. Yes. Mm-hmm. How, mm-hmm. how is it, teacher Emily? Super good. <laughs> <laughs> it's still last year in the present. I don't know. <laughs> okay. But yes, so uh, it is a four-shot uh, wheel roulette. Uh, I will spin. I'll read it out loud and uh, you guys uh, shot to your convenience and then this game will end when our four shots are out of the wheel. Okay, you ready? Ready. <laughs> <laughs> Take a shot, guys. We're starting off good. Woo! Okay, <laughs> <laughs> again. Do you want to spin it this time? Yeah, I'll spin it. Okay. Let's see. Take, Take a, a shot! shot. <laughs> I'm going to hit myself in the head with it one of these times. 
Do 20 push-ups, guys. <laughs> oh, it feels so good to make our audience suffer instead of ourselves. You guys are going to be so fit. Yes, Bring so Sally fit. up. Bring Sally down. Bring Sally up. Gonna tear up the ground. Bring Sally up. Bring Sally down. Bring Sally up. Gonna tear up the ground. <laughs> Old Zeus is dead and gone. <laughs> <laughs> Take, Take a, a shot. shot. Woo! Woo! Oh, shit. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. It's the last one. This is going way faster than usual. I know. Usually we're here for like 30 minutes. Spit again. <laughs> Take, Take a, a shot. shot. Woo. I feel like whenever uh, we play this game, it's always like 20 push-ups seven times in a row. It's like spit again. Spit again. 20 push-ups. Miss your turn. YMCA. YMCA. Just for the hell of it. Everybody at home do the YMCA. Okay, bye. Alright, but that concludes, I think, our Show for the week. Yeah, our show for the week. That was a great game, guys. Way to go. I'm very proud of all of you. Yes, round of applause. Yeah, and we will uh, see you next week. So this is uh, Emily signing off. Yes, and you can listen to us officially on Spotify, iTunes, Thank you, Spotify. (laughs) Papa Bless. What is Papa Bless? (laughs) Look it up. You're going to have a a world of new memes when you look at Papa Bless. Mm, Yes, that's exactly what I need is more memes. Yes. Um, so you can listen to us on iTunes, Spotify, and Stitcher. You can follow us on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash Wheel of Crime. Yeah. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Wheel of Crime. And if you have a business inquiry or a cool story, you can email us, wheelofcrime at gmail.com. And if you want to do all the above and you're still feeling uh, really giving, you could like us and uh, subscribe on any of our outlets here. We love having more attention because that means more people will be able to listen to us and we uh, we would really appreciate that. Thanks in advance. Yes, thank you Peace. in advance. Say anything you want. You could say that I'm annoying and I wouldn't care as long as you give five stars. Because it would be true. <laughs> I'd be like, you're right. <laughs> I have nothing to add. (laughs) Thanks. (laughs) But yeah, I I think that's it for my bit. Yes. All right. See you guys next week. Woo-hoo!